0: What's going on, Drinking Buddies? Brand new episode coming right at you. But real quick, you know what time it is? Time for a word from our sponsors. Those fine folks that bring alcohol and podcasts to me and you and the whole world. First and foremost, we are brought to you by the video versions of Now We Drink. The video versions are available on Vimeo. And due to me figuring out better things than editing, the video versions are going to come faster than ever. Right now, the Athena Rain version is 100% free to stream. Otherwise, episodes are $0.99 a piece, or $6 a month for unlimited streaming. Check them out now, anwd.net slash videos, anwd.net slash videos. We are also brought to you this week by our friends of Vinyl Me Please. Vinyl Me Please is the record of the month club, the best damn record of the month club. In fact, every month, Vinyl Me Please features one album that is essential to the modern vinyl collection. Each record is pressed exclusively for Vinyl Me Please and has features you can't get anywhere else. Things like bonus tracks, inserts, color variants, and comes packaged with a 12x12 12 12 album-inspired art print and custom cocktail pairing recipe. How can you beat that? Rad, custom vinyl, art, cocktails. Sounds like a win all around. And Vinyl Me Please isn't like Record of the Month Clubs of old. It's month-to-month, month, no strings attached, cancel anytime. So if you want to join Vinyl Me Please today, go to www.joinvmp.com slash Once again, that is www.joinvmp.com slash ANWD. We are also brought to you this week by our friends at GameFly. Gamefly GameFly.com has over 8,000 new releases and classics available for Xbox One, Xbox 360, PS4, PS3, PS Vita, Wii U, Wii, and 3DS, and the old school systems. As a GameFly member, you can run as many console and handheld games as you want and get them delivered right to your mailbox for one low monthly fee. If you like a game so much that you don't want to send it back, You can keep it for a low used rate. There are never any due dates or late fees, and Gamefly also offers the ability to rent Blu-ray and DVD movies as part of the regular service at no extra charge. Drinking buddies, games are expensive. Before you drop your hard-earned coin on them, go to Gamefly, make sure you love them, make sure you're not going to breeze right through them, and if you really want to keep it, boom. Buy it from Gamefly on the cheap. So sign up today for a premium 30-day trial for free. One game out, shipped directly to you with a pre-adjust envelope for easy returns. No contracts. Cancel anytime. Go to GameFlyOffer.com slash ANWD. Once again, that is GameFlyOffer.com slash ANWD. Last but not least, we are brought to you by our friends at Laughable. Laughable is the number one comedy podcast app on iOS. It's available on Android now. It is the best podcast app out there. Because not only can you subscribe to your favorite podcast, comedians and podcasts and other personalities, when you subscribe to them, boom, right there in your subscription feed. You like a comedian? You want to find some new shows? The minute they do someone else's show, boom, right there, you learn about it. Plus, they make recommendations in-app on the splash page every day. Laughable is 100% free, so get it today in the Google Play Store or the iOS store. Laughable. Find funny. Drinking with me this week is Ethan Allen from the band Asher. Ethan is a Grammy-nominated record producer, mixer, engineer, writer, and multi-instrumental musician. Originally hailing from Austin and New Orleans, he was, worked with Black Bull Motorcycle Club, Ben Harper, The 88, Tricky, Luscious Jackson, The Colt, Grand Rabbit, and many more. This was a super fun episode. Definitely we geek out on music for almost the entire run of it. Gets a little lit, too. And after you finish the episode, Drinking Buddies, be sure to check out Asher's new album, Oscillator. Go to Ashermusic.com to check it out. Check the show notes for the URL. Once again, that's Ashermusic.com. But in the meantime, sit back, relax, pop a cold one, and enjoy Drinking Buddies. We're ready to rock and roll. All right. Ethan, welcome.
1: Cheers, by the way. Cheers. Good to meet you in person. Good
0: to meet you in person. Thank you for my homie, Robert Dean, for setting this up. Yes. Thanks for having me. Hey, welcome to the humble abode. Very now nice. that we got all the pleasantries out of the way. But, you know, we're polite, civilized human beings. Let's see. Well, during the first ounce of alcohol, at least.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: couple drinks later, who knows? Who, <laughs> who knows what will happen?
1: It's, you know, it's good to see where you start off.
0: Well, we're starting off right here in Los Angeles with, you guys have a brand new album out, right?
1: We do. Asher, uh, our new album, Oscillator, um, has just recently emerged. Been rolling out songs at a time, but now is the proper arrival. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Checked out a couple of the videos. Good stuff. Thank you. How did Asher come together? You guys are a trio. You're all established musicians. Yeah. You know, we all each have our own disparate, unique backgrounds. Uh, I come at it from uh, being a producer and a musician, been in bands for years. And uh, then I got a call from a friend of mine, um, Johnny, who's a bass player, who's kind of a linchpin in the community, and said that... uh, uh, friends needed to come in and do some vocals in my place i had a good spot to do that and then i met josh and josh is a unique bird he's sort of a he was a wunderkind piano player as a teenager and he was mentored by dr john mac Rebonac, and uh got quite a bit of help early on in his career and then he's had his own career as a pop star he was signed for a bit and uh in the course of his running around in New York, he met this guy, Stephen Davis, who's our third member. And Stephen comes from a cabaret background, big band singer, classic crooner. And they were doing a bit of that work together when they came to me. And so they needed to do some vocals. And from the moment that we started doing stuff, Stephen's voice is just unique it's not what you usually hear on the radio now it's not that velveteen tenor voice you know sailing into the stratosphere all the time he's a rich deep baritone Um, it's a voice of experience and you hear it right away and the moment we started doing stuff together i think steven had always in his big band background wanted to do some other material that explores the crooner background, the Bowie, the Brian Ferry, the kind of, you know, um, the more darkly romantic part of it. And so we did a song together, but immediately we found some common ground. And then we started doing stuff together. He said, why don't we write a song? And real quick, it became, it caught fire. And we started doing it in the beginning for no reason other than to please ourselves. And it was just complete freedom to explore that kind of thing. We, we shared a lot of that DNA, the Roxy music, the, the old school, um, dark troubadours. And as soon as we started doing stuff together, we found that spot very quickly. And then, like I say, it was really refreshing having not known each other, not knowing each other's backgrounds. We just started going from the word go. And then we did it and the first two things we did we were really oddly surprised at and then it went on from there then quickly we wrote more songs and we realized that maybe the new material we were beginning to write as a a trio was better than the previous work real quick we started creating a you know a hard drive full of little bits so and but we're all songmen so the true songwriting aspect was something early on that we really gelled about, you know, lyrics that mean something. Um, and then finding just because we were new friends that what was the common thread in that? And that came easier than it often does. So then we started writing songs and we ended up with a record quicker than we would have thought. Very cool. Very cool. Have you guys started planning out traveling, touring yet or uh Not yet a tour, although we're in the works for that. We're going to do a California thing. We're starting to maybe put a tour together with our friends Andy Clockwise and Night Jacket, also another great band, uh, The Proper Junkies, that we've done some work with. But we've only had about five shows under our belt, but we we can all play, and then we have a a five-piece band now. So uh, I have a lot of experience putting together this kind of thing, which is a hybrid of electronic and a full band. So... I kind of brought that to the table and quickly we figured out that we could do it it was really complete conjecture in the beginning and it came together easier than i would have imagined his voice steven's voice kind of carries the whole train so once you understand that that kind of was the code that unlocked it all and the rest came pretty quick very cool So when you guys do hit on the road, are you guys going to be in a van together? I'm sure we will start off in a van or some similar yacht. Uh, You know, we're all older, uh, old enough where I've put in serious miles. I had my previous band, Graham Rabbit. We toured the United States several times and the world a little bit. Um, I'm no stranger to the road. Neither is Josh, neither is Steven, but all of us at different times in our lives, different vehicles, so this is the first time that it's this kind of deal but yeah we're we've got four song uh four shows all l a based and now we're going to do the desert, Joshua Tree, san diego uh San Francisco, probably Portland, Seattle, and then outward and beyond That's awesome.
0: I always find it's a real test of a band once. Like you're actually on the road together all in that confined space for
1: extended periods of time. That's yeah. when it, it really gets interesting. It does. Uh, this particular combination of personalities I have a lot of faith in. Somehow we already know how we get on and off each other's nerves. It's like, you know, that's part of it. And I think it should be the case. You know, if there's no, if you haven't ever explored conflict with anybody, then you have never really explored Uh, any kind of living so we've had a little bit of that but traveling together we're all we're all good like that I, i i'm sure of it but also you know there's something about performing all of us are performers we've done it before and we really look forward to that hour a day where you get to get in there and do it it's all the other stuff that's a real drag
0: oh yeah the
1: that's the hardest part about music is keeping
0: the marriage together essentially yeah yeah
1: yeah. but so far the marriage is intact. We'll see. No infidelity yet, you know. Just a little temptation on
0: the road may come, and we'll we'll see what happens.
1: (laughs) Yeah, as it does. So I I see the ring on your hand. Yes. I'm a married man. Uh, My wife and I moved here from New Orleans 17 years ago. Met there. She was a bartender at Caddy Corner from the recording studio I worked at for many years in New Orleans. And uh, soon after we met, it was about a year we knew it was time to hit the road and look for new horizons. We came out here and went through the usual LA experience. First part of it had its uh, rough bumps, but you know, out here you can make a life. You can put sidewalk under your feet. You can be at the bar next to somebody and you talk to them and you can find work. I mean, I think in the small backwaters of where I was before amazing things happen. I mean, calling New Orleans a backwater desert a disservice, but it is a true unique place. But what was possible for the future was uh, a bit more limited. So coming out here made all the difference in the world, but it was great to come with a partner, with um, a woman that I love and trust. And we went through those hardships together, but she's she's solid. We've only been married since 2013, but together for a good stretch, you know. I talk about it all the time. You don't necessarily have to get the government involved in your relationships. No. wasn't really a priority at all. Never really wanted it at all, to be honest. But, you know, um, you meet somebody who changes the picture for you and wouldn't have it any other way now. As long as you two are happy,
0: that's the important part.
1: Yeah. Honestly, I feel like New Orleans is a, would be a rough town to maintain a relationship in. Um, Yes and no, It was, but it was a time of life. I mean, that place it's interesting because your darkness isn't hidden in new orleans it's not hiding behind a tree it's right out in front of you and offering you a cigarette and that is the true attractor of that place it's honest it is deep it's as dark as you want to go the deep end of the pool is there um luckily for me you know I've got my own addictive personality traits, but the ones that would have probably ruined me never came into play there. Um, but it's not the best place for everyone. It's, uh, there's no safeguards there. There's no governor gear.
0: I love it. I love New Orleans. It's just a town I could never live in. Yeah. I'd be dead very quickly, and I would die horribly obese, sweaty. and
1: <laughs> I think it was, it was good to come with a purpose for me you know i moved there for a job at a recording studio and i had been trying to work there for years and then actually getting that opportunity i think maybe kept me not on the straight and narrow but like walking the plank for sure but i met my now wife at the end of a long run of a certain amount of personal freedom so i don't feel like i left any scratch unitched or anything excellent and
0: new orleans is definitely the town to just- scratch those they, they all
1: get thoroughly scratched you know unless uh you either go under the waves or you leave
0: yeah yeah i i can imagine new orleans has a, a fair amount of turnover where people just go there and have one vision of it and then once they're actually there it's like ooh, this was a little deeper than i thought it was going to
1: be well it's that but it also almost without fail you talk to anybody who goes there i don't think anybody comes back with the story of uh regret that they were there but it does have a way of finding the utmost of your furthest experience and that's what it's about and praise the Lord. Forgive me for saying it's a, there's no place like it. Um, There's no place that offers you so much and it's not a fairy tale. It is a deep layered story. I tried my best to plumb the depths of that place and I, I think I scratched the surface. So, if you hadn't met your wife, do you think you would have stayed there? Well, we were already thinking about it. you know it was a place where you could buy a house l a- sp- certainly in the beginning of your career it's not It's not like that uh it has a way of wanting you to be there. It's the island of misfit toys. Everybody comes there from somewhere else with some problem in their life, and that becomes magnificent in their living of life it's a cafe lifestyle you walk out on the street at 10 o'clock in the morning you have a cocktail which you do there at 10 o'clock in the morning and then it might turn into a two-day uh turn of restaurants and finding people's places and discovering new things you would never find anywhere else uh maybe much more so than here a different kind of turn the place is open. It is freedom personified.
0: Oh, uh, that that would be how I'd describe my l- very limited time in New Orleans. I, I've gotten out of the French Quarter. Friends who live there have shown me places. I've ended up in Snakes and Jake's.
1: Oh, yeah. Snake and Jake's. One of my favorite bars. You know, if you go in there and you come in naked, you drink for free. <laughs> uh, I didn't do that, but I did about everything else. That. You didn't do that. <laughs> Let's well, come on, you know, have a visual imagination, you know,
0: so the audience is supposed to imagine you
1: naked now I mean, I'm imagining myself naked, so yes, but you know, <laughs> it was uh it's fantastic, I mean, it defies and over overdoes every expectation that you would have of it if you were a romanticist, I mean, it gives it to you um. It's a beautiful, beautiful place full of souls that are broken and beautiful and magnificent and people are doing a lot of things. But now all of my friends who were living our desperate 20s own all the restaurants and they own all the art galleries. And um, But even without that, I encourage anybody who has even the faintest inkling of wanting an experience in their life to go there and live for a time and you'll never Ever be sorry about that? <sighs> I just couldn't do the humidity. I just couldn't <laughs> do it. Yeah. Well, you know, like anything, you get used to it. But yeah, it was pretty rough. That was full on jungle.
0: Yeah, I've been there in September, and I'm like, this is enough for me. This, this is as humid as I want to deal with.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it will test that and beyond. 100 degrees, 100 percent humidity at nine o'clock at night when you're going out after your first shower. uh But then, what waits for you is worth it all.
0: It's true. But that's why I do it in limited doses. Yeah.
1: yeah. You get, well, when you're there, it's like, it's just like the humidity. When you're there, you learn to pace yourself. You learn a certain, you know, you build your tolerance. Your white blood cell count, you know, goes to a very high level and you can, I mean, I never drank it very much before I went there. Didn't think much of it. Wasn't really part of my life. Alcohol is a huge part of the social fabric. It becomes something that it better not be an obstacle because you just have to get into it and follow your, your, your greater demon, but it's great. What you do find shows starting at 2 a.m., uh, jam sessions that you couldn't possibly believe, you know, like the rhythm section from the meter sitting in with whatever three horn players just got off of work, you know, it is all the things that you think it would be and much more, and that's the thing that you can't know without living there. It's just beautiful that way. It it is a neighborhood. Everybody's a neighbor, and um, but it it has a dark side.
0: Definitely. I mean, this is a city that is built on. The average mortality rate was like twenty one for a very long time.
1: Right. And I don't think they minded. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's a life well lived at twenty one, you know. But, man, musically, I just I mean, I just can't say enough. Uh, and not just in traditional new orleans music which first of all before i moved there i didn't know that much about jazz to me was a bit of a museum piece wasn't something that was like awake and alive in my life i appreciated maybe miles davis album whatever you go there though and every eight-year-old wants to play trumpet even if they're in a roving gang on the streets and um all of the music there is centered around that the local radio station WWOZ, which is fantastic to this day, and Doctor John just passed. Uh, rest in peace. He they were playing it, you know, twenty four seven. They might even still be. He just had his funeral, huge jazz funeral that was city wide. There's no place that not only appreciates its locals but sends them off in a way that is completely devoid of rigidity or artifice it's just um they send them off in the same way that they live there and i mean it's just heartbreakingly beautiful what that city knows and understands about humanity and about how to live uh you know so many people i know who are older my mother lived there for a while while i was there and she says you know i feel like in a lot of ways that's the way that we should have all been living up to now. And I only just fig- figured it out. It has that about it. Well,
0: when you have a culture that's based on that life's going to be short, life's potentially very fragile, you need to celebrate every moment of it. New Orleans does that
1: so well. Every Sunday barbecue is possessed with a fever like you have never seen. Uh, every time that you meet up a friend on the street, you give them a greeting. You know, it's, it's, It's charged with life. Um, And it continues to feed me. I'm sure that there's another chapter in my life that involves New Orleans. Um, It was time to be here. But there's nothing like uh, the true romance, the true soul that just comes from the sidewalks in that place. So
0: if this album goes ginormous, the money piles in, flies in.
1: Yes, yes. Did you see yourself at least living there again part-time? Well, I would for sure have a place there. And I was lucky enough by the time I was around for a while to know people who did exactly that. They had some little, and the French is full of it, and so is the Ninth Ward. You, you walk around the corner through some rusted iron gate. and You go back there, and you're like, oh, my God, what is back here? It, it is a jungle paradise, you know, and it's just a little lot. You have a one or two-bedroom spot. That would be a dream. If I could have that one day. But the great thing is that even without owning it, you can have it by just going. But absolutely, if the money rolls in, that I'm going to have a spread. And there's going to be some jungle paradise of my own. That sounds amazing. Yeah. That sounds
0: absolutely amazing.
1: But how often do you get back? Like, um, Well, last time for me was two years ago. But I've got dear friends, as I've said. My wife goes back a lot. My wife sells feathers. She does it for costuming couture. She does Mardi Gras Indian Tribes. Um there's we have we continue to have a strong connection to that place. When I moved there, the recording studio that I worked at, when I moved there, I was working for producer Daniel Lenoir. He was someone who I'd been wanting he was a mentor that I wanted to have. Finally got in there, got in the door. But this place was an 1860-built mansion, three stories tall, the last single-family residence on Esplanade Avenue. And there was this paradise out in the backyard, a banana garden with a flagstone pool. We had speakers underwater where you could listen to what was going on in the control room. Uh, Everybody came through there. It was a private number. This was just before the Internet really took hold. And so everybody who came there knew how to somehow... Get in there. It wasn't advertised. It wasn't public knowledge. So, all sorts of artists, big and small, came through there. And it was a residential studio. So, you would stay there and you had your own suite. There were 30 rooms in the house, a 7,000 record vinyl collection, Harley's in the garage. It was magnificent and beautiful, vintage gear equipped recording studio. This was all because of Daniel Lenoir, who owned it. But he often was busy with other projects. So the lion's share of the time, every other band was coming through there. And at the time that I showed up, I was a greenhorn, and my ass was in the chair from age 25 to 30. And it was just nonstop. You know, the road cases were going out the door, more were coming in. And not only was that happening, but they were staying there. So you were living with them. You were, in the, and in the course of that, a lot of great life experiences happened. So it seared into my DNA um, something very important, not just about experience and the experiential level of New Orleans, but from the people that I learned from, the real sanctity of music and how serious it should be, how important it should be, how how much craft is craft. And, you know, craftsman-apprentice relationship, you, you learn from other people and you do it over a long period of time. Um, I hadn't experienced that before. I had worked for Willie Nelson for a few years in Austin. Uh, but it was the same thing. He was hardly ever there. It was a great place to work, but going to new Orleans, I was thrown into the deep end of the pool. It was the big time and it was super intimidating. It was, um, uh, bewildering at first, and then it became just food. You feasted on it, and you learned so much by just being at first a fly on the wall watching other master craftsmen work. My great pleasure was having being an assistant engineer and being just enough present and a necessary addition to the room where I was there, but then you learn to hug the walls, and you just get to witness what's going on. And that means engineers, producers, master musician from, you know, say Nigel Godrich the radio, of Radiohead ilk to, uh, you know, blues, R&B, jazz. It was an education of the highest order, but also the pressure was on you. You had to d- demand. You had to perform. You were not just an observer. If at any moment you screwed up, you knew that your neck was on the line. And it was the first time I'd have been around that. I'd never been around that kind of high stakes. And the respect that comes with that at watching people do their inherent craft and what's necessary to allow them to fully blossom and do what they're doing, that was the great lesson of that place. So it's all tied up in New Orleans. me. I don't know where to, it, it, one is ends to the other, but it will always be a place that taught me a lot about life.
0: With that residential studio, it couldn't have been all work. There had to have been some play with some of these artists.
1: Well, there was a lot of play. And, you know, I romanticized my position, but once I'd kind of proven my worth and I was no longer, you know, ready to be put on the street with my suitcase, I became the trusted guy, the assistant engineer slash house engineer, because this is also New Orleans. It wasn't L.A. If I was in the equivalent position in L.A., there'd be a fleet of people. I was one guy who had to do it all. I was the runner. I was the engineer. If something needed to be fixed, there was one guy in town who could fix shit. It was like, and if not, then I had to figure it out. And if not, your ass was on the line. The pressure was intense, but also I was the concierge. So I knew every stripper in town. I knew most of the drug dealers, uh, even those beyond my depths, you know, this is a point where I'd never done cocaine, but I knew who to call to get it, you know. Not that a lot of that happened at the time. They, they came around, usually everybody came supplied, but if there was any need, it came upon me to figure it out. There was Kenny, the weed dealer, who was this amazing dude who lived down the street, who was big fan, a big friend of Coco Robichaux. They were these catfish looking beautiful musicians who just sat and jammed in this beautiful place about you know three blocks away and through them i found out some people i needed to know through other people i found it out but you know other people i needed to know but the long story short i had to facilitate even if it wasn't me so yeah a lot of things came through there a lot of crazy experiences, um, some, like I said, where I found myself beyond my depths. And again, it was just me. There was one particular experience where a band that will remain unnamed came through, and this was still in the golden era of, of record budgets, where people came in and you had some money. So they huge
0: had, advances.:
1: Yeah. but they still they'd set up in a house uptown. Um, beautiful old house, set up an ADAT recording studio and demoed for two weeks at a time. Actually ended up being two months. So after two months of pre-production work, writing songs, they rolled into Kingsway, where now they're paying 1500 a day, which by LA standards is nothing, but still a lot of money. Suddenly you're spending the big time money. What year is this? This is maybe
0: 1998.
1: Okay. I'm just trying to get a... I was old. there from 95 to 2000. Uh, at that studio 2003 before I left Um, so the unnamed artist came in and they came in full force they were a big band there used to being on the road they had had some success they were on a major label right in the middle of the record the label dropped them there was a sudden mad scramble to New York went back and the singer to his great credit somehow Finagled another deal with a major legal and by Monday we were up and rolling again. But they had crew there, uh, they had infrastructure, and I was the representative of the studio because this went late at night. You know, this these sessions started going on late. The drugs started getting heavy. The uh, extra hanger-ons showing up at the door and ringing the doorbell at two in the morning started more and more, and then things got just dark dark as fuck it got intense the the work slowed to a halt um there would be three days of waiting for whatever drug aphasia to disappear long enough to complete a piano part it was just torturous and everybody else there all the people who were hired to be there were pros but it was like the ultimate test in patience to watch Some really dark stuff go down. Some people, you know, get lost. Also, Mardi Gras happened during that time. At one point, they said, okay, so Mardi Gras is going to happen. So we'll take off a night or two and we'll go out and party. But, you know, we're going to keep working. And I was like, I don't think we're in the French Quarter. I do not think you understand what's about to happen here. For the time leading up to that and the time beyond, this is going to become a war zone. And they're like, no, nah, it's fine. That'll be outside. We're inside. And it's like, you don't get it. Sure enough, we came up to that time. Guitar player goes missing. One guy goes to jail. It is chaos. And then at one point, the band finally comes together, somewhere towards the end of Mardi Gras, and they decide to just blast against the chaos. They set up the full band in the foyer outside against the Iron Gates with a PA, and they just play into the mayhem To no avail, and then still, (laughs) uh, it it all it it was probably a week and a half of just uh, you know like a bulldozer coming through and wrecking everything to the side. But they continued. We finished the record. The record ended up being a very good record. Uh, But because of the band and their situation, and me representing the studio they almost existed at the end, a sense of warfare between us. They weren't going to leave. They were really ripped up and antagonistic and eventually they just left, but it was almost like a standoff at the OK Corral. It was, uh, it was nuts. And there was, you know, a lot of broken hearts and uh, detritus along the way, but. There were a couple like that. Most of the time, people came there and it was just a fantastic voyage. But there were a few that were pretty rough. A few grifters. The, the picture you painted right there was
0: magical, by the way. Just, <laughs> just, I could just imagine a full band set up playing against the chaos that
1: is Mardi Gras. Yeah. What were
0: they hoping to accomplish?
1: I think it was, <laughs> you know, the Primal Scream against you know true annihilation they were like on the edge of it and they knew it everything had fallen apart and what else to do but like blast it into the universe and i kind of respected that if not for the complete disintegration of all personnel involved you know it was it was dirty but it was beautiful and gratefully on someone else's dime definitely <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was someone in New York like,
0: how much did we just, oh my God, how, this album has to have huge returns. You know what, what maybe
1: maybe there was enough left of some old guard that considered that part of the cost of doing business, because now music business is largely uh, controlled by people come from a corporate background and more of an accountant's perspective and not understanding that with music that is a part of the investment towards the future especially towards certain people that are the true creative people. Now everybody expects everyone to be sort of a golden child and, you know, well-behaved. And that doesn't always generate the music that sings people's pain. So,
0: Definitely not.
1: You know. (laughs) Well-behaved people don't generally make good music. Mm. If you don't have a cost in your soul, the prophet Galil Gabran. He says, the more that sorrow carves from your being, the more joy you can contain. I mean, if music that has any import that matters to anybody, that is always true. It's like, there has to be a cost. There can be no true catharsis. There can't be any real celebration unless you paid something for that. So much of the celebration kind of offered to us in the medium of modern culture. It seems bereft of that. It's just the celebration without the cost. And it's an empty party. I don't mean to make broad generalizations, obviously the people who are really great have that, but I think that might be the common denominator it's like if you don't have any sense of what it took you to get to this place in life, then how can you make something that's going to matter to someone else in their moment? you know, which is really what music is all about It's really hard to get to that place period and impossible to get to that place unless that nature is somehow true i agree i
0: agree i've said it many times on the show trauma breeds good art yeah
1: you know if you've had a perfect life what do you really have to offer i think i think art if you matter and if something matters enough to you to say anything to make any mark on a wall it's only because there's something that brought you to that place to do it it's not just a position of pleasure or momentary morning time inspiration. It's about what has shaped me into being who I am here uh, at this moment. Because without a sense of a journey, you start off one place as a person, and you're either hurt or lost or you just don't know, the only way that you get to any place different is through experience. It sort of whittles you into the person you will become. And in, in truth, I think people reach to music for that. They expect that of it. I mean, whether it's metal and you want the catharsis of just annihilation to like wash over your soul, or whether it's uh, an old country song where they finally say that combination of words that unlocks, you know, your sorrow. Or even if it's a moment of jubilation, I love pure party music too, but it's usually the best is also mixed in with a little dollop of something sour because that's what brought you to being able to celebrate. I wholeheartedly agree. So better than I ever could. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that, but I mean, uh, the the troughs and alleys of New Orleans absolutely gave me that. And there are golden beings there and there continue to be. And then, you know, coming to LA and, you know, because my earlier life experience was in Austin, Texas first, New Orleans, you enter this whole swimming pool of people who, a lot of them, their formative experiences were here. And I love hearing those stories because the battleground of la and the beautiful fountain of experience that it is was one that wasn't mine but i understood having had my own and when i showed up here somehow i talked a lot of shit about la before i moved here i was like fuck those guys fucking la commercial wannabe just a whole Pool of people who are trying so hard to emulate something else. I just did not think well of it.
0: I'm right there with you. I'm originally from Chicago, and I always viewed LA as fake. I came out here to visit the first time in 2008. Yeah, and all I got to experience was Venice, and I'm just like, this town's not for me.
1: Oh my god, Venice is yeah, not. It's its own world, but and coming from Chicago, it's just like I. A, friend,
0: a good friend from high school who was living with his brother in a converted two-car garage like three blocks off Venice Beach.
1: Right. And I'm
0: like, you guys, this is your life here? Like, and everyone I met was vapid and it was just...
1: Ar- it didn't speak to you at it all. It did
0: not speak to me at all. And then you added in the fact that like, nothing was open late night. Chicago's yeah. a 24-hour city.
1: Chicago's a true town. Yeah.
0: And I'm just like, how do you guys live here? It took me moving to Vegas for a couple of years... And coming yeah. out here and experiencing Hollywood, experiencing downtown, experiencing a bunch of what else L.A.
1: had to offer for me to really. So what was the, the tipping point for you? Where did L.A. suddenly reveal its uh, fruits to you? Like how did, did – was it sudden or was did... – It was sudden. It was. Uh, I had a couple friends from Chicago who in 2013,
0: I want to say, moved here. And I was coming out from Vegas. I had some work out here, doing some porn shit, and they were out here. I'd come out and crash with them, and I'm like go to a bunch of dive bars in Hollywood, just see a bunch of shows, and just got exposed to the comedy scene. And I'm just like, okay, no,
1: LA is actually pretty cool. It's full of landmines, but it's oh, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. For me, it was it was almost almost like a kaleidoscope. It's bewildering when you show up here. It's just like all experiences here and there's a certain darkness to that i can imagine because i came here with a partner if i was showing up here on my own i mean that would test the most stalwart of people because this town has a way of blending you down into pulp yet once you finally get just even the smallest of community it's like a molecule like this molecule bonds with that molecule and then suddenly the whole picture changes it's like okay now this is a feasting playground of experience it's no longer an overwhelming wave that's going to destroy me and a soulless vapid vampire that has nothing that's going to do but make me into my own nothingness then it's like that for me was the key that I almost heard the key unlock and it's like now all of the craziness of this place has meaning and I I want to see all of it I want it I want it all I want it now I want to bring it in but I mean that's part of I mean I can only speak to myself I love community I thrive in community I thrive in collaboration I can exist as a solitary island I know f- friends of mine who are fucking dark, narcissistic, solitary islands into themselves, and they thrive on that. I am not one of those people. I need people. Once I found that in this place is when the fruits became apparent. And Los Angeles is the golden chariot. I I love it. It's outstanding here. I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else right now Uh, you got the city, you got all of it, but when I said it was a kaleidoscope earlier, all colors are present at the same time and they're just fractured beyond recognition. And then they all begin to coalesce once you have something that matters to you. And then LA presents itself as a feast and I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else.
0: I wouldn't either at this point The first couple of years I was here I was just kind of existing I was doing Right You know, one off production work Doing some odd Joe jobs here and there Yeah And it wasn't until like I started doing this That It was something that actually mattered to me Everything else is the mid- Midwestern mentality Of like well I just need to work Oh it's, yeah It's not necessarily a job that has to matter to me I Work just, to live Yeah exactly And then it's like, oh, no, I want to actually embrace my creative endeavors. And once I started doing that and started realizing that, Jesus Christ, everyone who moved here moved here to fucking do something.
1: Yeah. And it's fucking inspiring. It's the watering hole in the savannah. And there's the lions, and there's the giraffes, and there's the cheetahs, and there's the boa constrictors, and there's the gazelles. It's all here. And there's a great comfort in that for those of us who were looking for it somewhere where it wasn't before.
0: Well, as much as I love Chicago, it's a very stagnant city. I left in 2011. Sorry, I should keep that in arm's reach of you. I will happily take more. I left in 2011 and the majority of my friends there, even creative friends are pretty much doing exactly what they were doing when I left. Yeah. It's, a super stagnant city i love it i love it Deaf. i love the drinking culture i love a lot of things about it. i love the food but the idea of just trying to be frozen
1: in time forever how old are you now can i ask 38 okay yeah i'm 50 and one thing with age that i've found you tell me how you feel about this i mean all this stuff i've been talking about you know escaping the gravity of wherever you were and you, you find all this other experiential shit, it matters less and less to me now. Um, especially, you know, enough people die, enough people... You realize it, it matters to you, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is... Like, for instance, I haven't been back to my hometown of Amarillo, West Texas, in a long time. When I finally did go back, and that's been some time, I was kind of envious of all the people who hadn't left and had their own life. It was like there's a certain peace, a certain low-level hum that they tapped into that I don't get to do. And by low-level, I don't mean a lesser experience. I just mean a more rooted experience. Sometimes, you know, because... Everybody who's here are the people who left the fold and came out to the watering hole. And then the people who stayed, sometimes those people had their own prosperity in a way that I will never get to know. And sometimes I feel a little jealousy about it. I I, I don't want that for myself, but it's like you found a part of life maybe that I wouldn't get to know. Maybe, maybe leaving and just striking out for the universe. It's what I had to do without question. You know, it's a short life and there's a lot of ways to be happy. Oh, I'm not knocking anybody for doing it You this. know. And and I'm just saying, I used to be I used to pride myself on being the one that left. But you know, sometimes I go back and I see this like, Holy shit, man. You got this life, you you run an insurance company, and you got three kids and not that I want I I don't but you did okay your life is good you know it's like I don't think anyone is any better than the other and it's interesting there's a certain chapter I've rolled into now that I'm older because I framed my entire identity about striking out and going to the golden sunlight I wouldn't trade it for anything else thank god I did now i romanticize sometimes just the you know the simple the thing that i see some of my friends happening it's like oh wow you know what there's there's no good way we all go check out at the end and i have a lot of respect for any way that someone lives their life and they truly live it for themselves hey as long as they're happy i'm happy for them yeah but there's a lot of that where everybody labors in closet and i never wanted to do that that was never going to be me it just never was there's a lot of different ways to live a good life
0: oh definitely as long as you're happy at the end of the day
1: cool i mean what what drove you to leave where what town did you grow up in i grew up in chicago oh you grew up in chicago yep and then you were there for how long 30 years 30 years yeah no okay and so what what made you achieve Escape velocity. I had the this, this stereotypical
0: Midwest life. I had a decent nine to five. I had a condo. I had a car. And none of it really brought me happiness. Like I was just going through them fucking motions. And it's, I just wanted more. I wanted fucking more. I, I wanted to experience more. I wanted to, I didn't want to just keep going to work, punching a clock, making somebody else rich for a job that I took. That I planned to stay up for six months And was at for 12 years Right. I got an opportunity A director friend of mine Who I had met through mutual friends Like hey Come west I'm starting a studio I'll have work for you And I went you know what I didn't want to get out of here for a minute Literally my condo kept me in Chicago Probably about three four years longer than I wanted to be there Right The housing market tanked and I couldn't sell it the minute I sold it, I was gone. Like literally a month after it closed, I was gone. All right. Ended up in Vegas. There's been definitely ups and downs since then. I've been. I've made good money. I've made shit money. I wouldn't
1: trade it for the world. hmm. What do you think about that? What do you think about making money? Because I've made money. I've also achieved things in what I set out to do that I never thought I would do. I did too. What, what does that mean to you having achieved it and then lost it and achieved it? Well, there were points where like
0: I was making upper middle class money. Yeah. And it was fucking
1: isolating because
0: a lot of my peers weren't. And when I wanted to go do things, yeah. they weren't able to.
1: Right. Right.
0: And it, it sucked. It's yeah. like, cool. I'm busting my ass and I'm able to do all these things. But I can't share it with anybody. It sucked. Mm. You know, I sadly, it wasn't making enough where I could just take people along with me. Yeah, yeah. For a very long, you know, good chunk of my life, because I I grew up lower middle class. Me too. So that would be generous. Yeah. <laughs> my dad worked two jobs, so we lived in a decent neighborhood. Yeah. For a long time, like my only goal in life was to make enough money that I didn't have to. If I want something, I could just go get it. Yeah. And then once I started making enough money to just go out and get whatever I want, it did make me happy. Right. Because I was working a job that made me miserable to, miserable to do it. Yeah. Like, what's going to actually make me happy? And I've tried other endeavors. I ran a small music label in Chicago for a couple of
1: years. Yeah. Failed horribly. And I'm happy about that. It was a great learning experience. Well, if you don't, you know, every... St- Every tech startup talks about it if you haven 't failed four times then you 're not you 're not a a success i mean, and it 's trite almost to say it, especially living in l a People talk about that shit all the time, but the truth of it is trying and failing is a part of the fabric of life here. It is everywhere, but here, because we 're all here for the reasons that we're here um You expect it to work out. Most of the time, it doesn't. Whatever does end up manifesting for you is usually nothing that you plan. Oh, definitely not. The openness to understand that only comes from annihilation. You know Uh, what's the saying? You can fail a thousand times. You only have to succeed once. Right. Well, and even if that one fails, if you've failed three times before, and then overcome that you understand that it doesn't matter you can just continue exactly uh because everything ends and that makes you giddy with excitement about tomorrow
0: i love the adventure i love the prospect of not exactly knowing what's exactly going to happen
1: you my cousin who is fucking amazing beautiful uh he's worked for nasa for years and electrical engineer remarkable life and he's had his own ups and downs of course but when i was telling him about what i do for a living and the fact that no matter what i've done if i've gotten certain accolades that he knows about or worked with an artist that he knows about two weeks from now i don't know if i will ever work again He said, that's terrifying. How can you exist in that place? I was like, once you've done it twice, it's almost a rush. And then even once it's banal, you're okay with it. You almost trust the universe that, okay, those things didn't work out, but somehow it will. And I think that's a good way to live. That's a good life lesson that doesn't even mean that I so much trust in my own ability and talent and opportunity that it's going to continue, because I don't know if it will. But whether it does or not, I'm okay with it. That's a certain management of stress that it took me 10 or 20 years to learn, and I'm grateful for it. I'm so, so grateful for that. There's no other way to get that than to go through it and pretty much all of life really is that way security is an illusion 100% an illusion in life all that we plan for all of our machinations uh towards uh solidity be it emotionally in our relationships be it financially in what we do is all a falsehood oh yeah and why have a five year plan You can get hit by a car tonight. Well, I mean, you should have a five-year plan if you want to have one. Um, But no matter if you have a five-year plan, let's say you cast your fishing rod out five years, and I think it's important to do that. I get why you do that. But it doesn't mean that you're going to get what you planned for. Well, I don't see the point of having a five-year plan and ignoring the present. Well, yes. Yes. Yeah, the the subjugating of all present life towards some retirement future seems ridiculous to me. Me too, but I I understand why people do it. That's what we do. I mean, and so much of what we do in life operates out of fear.
0: Well, it's like uh, Linus with the safety blanket. Mm -hmm. Like if you are foregoing the now, you are like, well, in the future everything's going to be okay. None of it's guaranteed.
1: Well, we're ruled by our psychology and it's rare in life that one has the ability to change their own psychology. You know, it's interesting when you were saying you've worked with a lot of porn stars and I'm fascinated by them. It's like the healthiest of them seem to change their psychology to a way where they allow themselves a permission to live that I can't even imagine and I'm so kind of enthralled by their bravery and i really respect that it's not my life it's not my choice but i mean well done it's what you must have to go through to get there i'm sure it demands a lot of cost and a lot of bullshit but but if you can come to a healthy place with that that is something that i couldn't imagine and in my journey in life it's like those are the places you hope to get to by continued experience it's like you get to imagine a different way of thinking that you didn't know before and by getting there you understand a different side of yourself that you would never have known you know that's i have a lot of respect for that
0: well people who work in the industry it takes a lot because what other art form are you going to possibly get discriminated against for the rest of your life
1: yeah yeah, it's, it's, it's an X mark. Even still, even in this climate, it still is an X mark uh, on a certain realm of society for forever.
0: And it's not a protected class. You could lose jobs 10, 20 years from now because of something you did once, twice. You could be on film once or twice, and someone could just be like, you know what, we're firing you because you did porn.
1: Right. It's crazy. Yet, perhaps the most universally watched and perceived by all people yeah the degree to which it's subjugated even buried from modern life is like insane but everybody does it oh it's it's complete hypocrisy it's but that psychology the smarter that certain people who exist in that industry get and the people who i think there's there's gonna be there's gonna be and it's just about to happen somebody who bridges the gap. And certain people have already tried and done admirable jobs, but I I don't think it's always going to be... Almost every other social norm taboo has been broken down into mainstream society, and that's just coming. And it should be because it's human sexuality. It's part of everything. That's how we all got here. Sexuality is how we all got here. Yeah, but we privatize and put in the closet all those things well
0: because we're a puritanical society yeah in the grand scheme of things except for certain pockets you know
1: sex is dirty though we all got here via sex it's crazy well of course that's not true i'm talking about psychology okay in psychology we all have such loaded because the base level most important thing that we all do is is sex We have such loaded perceptions about it. It's the hardest knot to untie about anything. And that's not my job. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Very true. Can I use the restroom? Certainly.
0: Yeah. We're going to take a small breather while Ethan relieves some of the whiskey from his bladder. And Ethan's back. Empty bladder.
1: Not an empty heart. Hopefully not an empty mind. And some fresh ice. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. Here to provide. How are we doing so far?
0: I think we're doing rather well.
1: Okay. How do you feel about it? I feel great. I'm just happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me to talk. Oh, happy to have you. I mean, I got my story. I don't know how interesting it is, but, you know. I've been
0: rather entertained, so hopefully the audience has been as well. Yeah. I'm sure this is not the typical
1: music interview you're used to. Um, It's not, but... Well, I do think everything we're talking about is the most interesting part of music. Especially in podcasts. There are people who talk about the technical side of things. There are people who talk about uh, the pop formulaic side of things. Um, all of which I've been a part of and am interested in. Um, making music is uh, an endlessly fascinating path. And with Asher, one of the the things that i love so much about it is uh it was an unlooked for combination one of those things that only comes if you're on the path already and then somehow you know you get a lacrosse swing into your life and there's this thing lightning struck and yeah and it it struck and in some ways uh, the most unlikely of things but in some ways uh my favorite of things because at this point each of us in our own separate endeavors we don't necessarily have anything to prove but yet we still have a spiritualized ambition it isn't necessarily commercial i mean commercial success is fucking great oh yeah uh and we've all achieved it in one realm or another and we all want it still but I think the only thing that matters is when you feed yourself. If you don't feed yourself first, then no further uh, success of any kind really manifests, because you haven't you haven't greeted and confirmed what started you on the path to begin with. Uh, one thing I'm really happy about the older I get is that I can recognize that more. Where it used to just pass underneath my Awareness, like, I don't know, I just didn't get it. But now I understand that some of the things that matter to you most happen when you're not paying attention or looking for it. Maybe not paying attention, that's not the right word, that's not the right phrase. It's that you weren't looking for it, it wasn't what you intended. So much about LA is about intention, ambition. This is what I'm setting out to do, here is my plan. Here are the people. Here's my team. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here are the people I'm trying to associate with. Here are my points. of.
0: Here's the ladder I'm going to climb.
1: Right. And yet, often, in my experience of success, it's exactly the opposite. It's more when you cultivate yourself to be able to understand and experience all of those things. But it's the thing you didn't look for or you weren't anticipating that really capitalizes, becomes all those things that you thought you were training for before. Asher is one of those things. Uh I'm also of an age where I care a lot about pleasing myself. I want to please myself, my own inner creativity. I'm not the proportion to which I am attempting to entertain the audience and myself has shifted dramatically. And as a result, I think I've gotten better at my art because I don't divorce the audience. I understand that and I care about it. But ultimately I know that my own inner sense of what is good, I value more than what my perception of what other people will appreciate is.
0: Right, you're being honest to yourself instead of potentially pandering to the audience.
1: Mm. And all my favorite artists never did that. Now, I understand, let's say if I was a purely, if I was endeavoring to be a pop artist and a purely pop artist, I understand that's a different game, hard to do. But even the best pop artists did the same thing. They're brazenly adventurous in their individuality. And then let's say for a modern example, Billie Eilish, one of my favorites. I really love her. Because she is that, and she separates herself from the pack in doing that uh, she almost has cemented into her identity at seventeen, which is fucking amazing well, and because of her brother and because of all of it uh and I'm such a fan uh but I recently discovered her, so i'm I'm slow to the game, but i'm I'm rather impressed she is. From the beginning, seeking to make herself an iconoclast. You know, she doesn't depend on what other people think about her, which in the pop world is a really weird thing. Well, she's actively going against some trends. Maybe she the works- last one was Lord in her form. Well, Lord, when she's like,
0: oh, I'm going to use untouched photos so you don't get an unrealistic vision of beauty from me. Right. With Billy. She's like, I'm going to wear baggy clothes because my body's not
1: important to this. And uh, her, she has like a, uh, a very unique, very personal, almost diary entry level of talking about life that is so honest. The filter between her and, and real experience, there isn't much of one. And I really love that. Whereas so much of her contemporaries in major level modern pop are almost entirely a filter.
0: Well, how much of that is their choice versus their label's choice, their A and R Reps choice being like, whoa, 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 you can't put that out there. Well I mean we may never know.
1: Entirely true, but let's say well, I don't want to name names. But certainly. Because I'll say this. No matter what I think about music, anybody who gets to the point where they're doing it, I can tell you how much respect I have for that. It is so hard to get there, and it takes so much from your life. And invariably, even if you are a commercial mainstream pop star, there is some part of you that makes it to the surface and matters to other people. And that is very important. But almost universally, we can also sense when someone is speaking in a narrative that is singular and you understand that it's true Uh, and it's not a manufactured thing made from seven other writers or uh Billie Eilish has that and it's one thing I really love about her not only is she her sound sexy and fresh and hot and ultra modern and new but it is so true it's honest it it is undeniably her what A valuable commodity that is in music maybe the most valuable commodity there is
0: definitely and i feel like she is she's almost like grown in a lab she was homeschooled her brother's super creative too it's it's crazy
1: yeah maybe that's why and that that's a strange thing to think about that is that the only place it can be done is farm grown you know Well, both her parents were in entertainment too, so it's like... Well, they were in a position to be able to do that for their children. You know, that's one place it can happen. What I don't want to have happen is that all the other places it can happen, as I said before, which are usually born, cost, experience, are are denied access because they're not cultivated enough an artist to get through. We live in this prism of modern culture where amazement on a level that we've never experienced before is possible. I hope that we don't get to a place where the amazement so supersedes the human intent that we completely lose sight of what it is to be in human community in music. I hope we don't either. I honestly don't know what the visual will bring, though. I think it will bring always a need for humanity. It seems like there's always a push for like the amazement of the extravaganza. And then comes a need for connection and humanity. It's always equally met. I don't think the the other part won't be there. I think that I think that it will always be there, but we just exist in a time when some of that is pushed more underground or subjugated to the extravaganza. You go to Vegas now. You said you were just in Vegas. Vegas is no longer about Wayne Newton and all you know a group of musicians who can play i mean you got lady gaga who's doing her thing but by and large the people who command the rooms are djs 70 to 250 grand a night you know people want the illusory experience more than they want the visceral in front of you experience what do you think about that having lived there (sighs) i avoided those clubs like the plague i
0: I have friends that are DJs. Please don't hate me for this, but... I don't...
1: I, I, like, I like DJs. I get it.
0: It's never been... There's a spectacle to it that makes it a show. Not the same thing as seeing a live band. There's, there's a difference in the performance.
1: Well, I have been present with a DJ who does take you to different places. And it is a human narrative. That is what's great about it. Maybe but I've just it be- never been open to it. I- it's become so mechanized at this point that it's become almost expectant from a non from a a crowd that's not otherwise informed. Um, I love being guided by a great DJ. I grew up on FM radio where before it was decentralized. By the deregulation of the FCC that any FM DJ could play you what he wanted. It was his show or her show. They were the personality through whom which... They they, were the tastemakers. That they gave you. And it's like you go to your record store and it's like, well, I heard this. They said that I should get this or they turned me on to this. Once it was all homogenized through a corporate funnel... It became different. And then the whole art of a DJ also became different. Yet still. Yet still. Even with these superstar DJs that are around. I still love a if a DJ will take me there and they'll take me to a new place. I love it. I just don't like the expectation that they will. It's almost like their entire set, the entire culture that surrounds them is that oh shit they're gonna fucking blow my mind oh my god it's like and they're gonna fucking it's like well this really isn't that mind-blowing you know it might be i want to have my mind blown. i really want to have my mind blown
0: well who doesn't but but once you have expectations
1: eh, you get disappointed because you're like oh i'm gonna have my mind blown oh i think what ends up happening though is that with the pablum of the masses is that even your expectations are watered down. You don't even expect your expectations to be expectations. (laughs) 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 You you know, it's like, oh, I'm just gonna go for this, this, I'm gonna walk into this experiential room and then this experiential thing that I expected will happen and then I go through the catharsis of this experiential thing and then I go home feeling hollow like a hollowed out walnut you know and it could be better than that but you know it certainly isn't though yeah but again certain people can and i get surprised and every time i get jaded as a motherfucker somebody comes through and saves my life some dj that i hear on a playlist or it's like even that Some young artist that I worked with says, you should pay attention to this playlist from this DJ, and then I do. I will get something sometimes. What was the last DJ that saved your life? DJ that saved my life? David Cooper. Not familiar. He's got his own thing going on, but he saved my life the other night. And he was doing French music, concrete mixed with like modern stuff and took me to a place i didn't know about before that's amazing It's fucking awesome and that's what you you know that is the role of the dj in my opinion i mean it's not just to call yourself a dj and buy a pioneer ddx whatever the fuck and it's like beat match no 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 that is not the skill the skill is to manipulate your mind definitely and that should be done to a great level of art it should be, but it often isn't. You know, with age, I have a tendency to think that way. But in reality, it's there, but it's up to me to find it. But there's a lot of shit out there, but I have to find it. Well, and, and remain unclosed.
0: Well, we are in an,
1: in an age of music where. It is relatively inexpensive to produce music. So there is so much of it out what there. What do you think about that? So, I love it. So so much music is out there. Um, there's a great deal of music. So with the, the great propensity of music that's possible and the sea of it to navigate, how do you find yourself as a music fan? Because you told me before we started talking that you're a music fan. Where do you find yourself as a music fan?
0: I find myself, unfortunately, a little stagnant. I'm don't have the best outlets to be exposed to new stuff.
1: I end up. That's why you need DJs to be your friends. DJs who was for me DJs and music store owners. I needed to go to them and say, "What do I need to hear?"
0: Well,
1: and I still think that's true. I do too.
0: I I've talked about this on multiple occasions one of my biggest, what bums me out the most is the younger generation will never, for the most part, never know the the joy of going into a music store and buying an album purely because of the album artwork. Yeah. Like, oh, that looks rad, and just grabbing it off the shelf. How many albums did you buy over the years you were like, that looks cool?
1: Innumerable. I mean, and rightly so. Almost always... They ended up being good choices because anybody who paid that much attention to their artwork also gave that much attention to their craft.
0: Definitely. I mean, I'm in the 90s, early 2000s. I was give met- me an example tool, no, dismember, massive killing capacity.
1: Okay, okay, like, like okay, I was, okay, like okay. In the late
0: 90s, early 2000s, if it wasn't metal, I wasn't listening to it.
1: I love metal too. But I'm not a super deep metal fan Probably like you are But I love metal
0: These days I mean my tastes are all over the place I've I've matured I listen to a lot of stuff But in those days If it wasn't metal I wasn't listening to it I was not open to it Gotcha And where I was living at the time Was a college town And there was A bunch of secondhand stores And I'd roll in And just roll into the metal section Like That album artwork is brutal Dismember's massive killing capacity is elephant looking describe it it's like an elephant with chainsaws for hands yeah and i'm like that looks brutal as hell and it was a great album i'm gonna pull it up for you would you that's the album artwork
1: hell yeah
0: it looks like a giant elephant mech thing with guns and chainsaws for arms with the tusks it kind of looks like an elephant it's amazing And I bought that album purely on the album artwork. I'd never heard
1: of that band before. Yeah. Well, I did that all the time. And I think what I said before is true. You can, anybody who cares enough to put that much into their artwork, you can probably get a very good signifier onto what their music is because they care enough to do that. I agree and it is a sensory experience listening to music i mean one of the biggest records of all time for me you know i'm gonna date myself here <laughs> the cure disintegration amazing uh,
0: album to this day
1: now before that i was a cure fan for years but pornography was another one that came along when pornography came along all i remember was picking up the record in the record store And it was so alarming that I almost didn't want to deal with it. But it was so captivating that I bought it just because it was so challenging. The element of threat in art, the element of threat in a band is something that's missing now.
0: I agree. Another album that comes to mind is Lords of Acid Voodoo You. Oh,
1: wow. You are fucking going there. Yes. I love that. Lords of Asset. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That's good. So I maybe, I, maybe I was a little off on the oh, I only listen to metal. Like it was, there was No, no, but I mean, come on. You know, we we share sure I wish my wife was here right now. She'd be a fucking good one on this edition. She's uh she's loud. And she's proud. That's awesome. Uh, but obviously, one of the things we've always shared is love music. And it's odd the things that we gelled on. Because, you know, we have all the romantic things that we shared and everything. But it was the more obscure things like psychic TV. You know that one? Mm, I don't. Okay. If you like Lords of Asset, you should... i'll check it out out. uh or uh it was actually finding those nether regions that we knew that was so endearing and that's what music does it's like oh you've explored those caves even a, a couple of them and then by virtue of that let me show you this and let me show you this. That's what it does. Uh, where I feel like the streaming generation stops at an endpoint. It's like you found this, and that's it. Yeah, like
0: this is what I got. Okay, cool. Honestly, the streaming generation—the other thing I feel like they're missing out on—is listening to music completely undistracted.
1: Well, I can't. I can't say that I'm good at that either. Well, I'm because not I, anymore. I'm, I'm just a part of it, like we all are.
0: I'm not anymore either. I can't not look at my phone while I'm sitting there listening to music. But I definitely remember in the nineties sitting there in my room, just listening to music completely undistracted. There was nothing to distract me. If I put on a CD, I sat there and listened to it.
1: We talk about disintegration, uh, which brings back to a point listening to an album, which seems like an archaic thing to do. Uh, I worked with my good friend flavia who's a a modern pop artist she's amazing she is definitely a vanguard of the popular modern young era and she's killing it right now but i remember telling her about disintegration and it took her a minute she went home and she went home with her man and she said then i remember her she said we listened to disintegration top to bottom she said it blew my mind and it's like yeah What And that makes me think, that's what we wanted. Well, those British bands, at the time they were doing this, it was a blue-collar, dark, industrial environment. England at that time was not a good place to be. And they created a fantasy world in music that was a true fantasy world, beautiful and they had these peak moments of purveying human experience that weren't just fantasy, but just like a classic country Western song, the most humanistic, simple, beautiful moments of what's important about music. I mean, one of my favorite songs ever is I've been looking so long at these pictures of you that I almost believe that they're real. I mean, That's a Hank Williams line. Is it? No, it could be. That's a Robert Smith line.
0: Uh, I know. I knew it was secure. I didn't know if it was. I'm just saying that it is
1: Hank Williams worthy. It is so distilled down to the essence. A simple human moment without anything else. That it's so universal that it transmits the power of music more strongly than anything else it's like that is the heart of the megaphone of music is you know those private moments of pain and then making them true and allowing them to the rest of the world definitely i this is why bands like Nine Inch Nails resonated with a lot oh, of yes. people oh well, yeah i mean nine inch nails has this artifice of spiderian you know um uh, you could have God, all which my empire of dirt yes it, like
0: hurt resonated with so many people and the johnny cash
1: version is also beautiful as well but well and you know why the reason why that was so genius is because johnny cash and he were the same parallel at different moments. Yeah. They were the same artist, different times, different mediums, but they were the same person talking about cost, talking about experience, but also in a vessel this small, this small, that matters to everyone. And in without explanation, doesn't require introduction, doesn't require... Okay, here's how you should feel about this. Is this is the moment you're in. No, just like an old country song, Nine Inch Nails takes you into a place that we all know. Every human being knows. Oh, yeah, Trent's amazing at that.
0: Absolutely amazing. From all the way back to the downward spiral, to so more recent stuff like, you know, every day is exactly the same.
1: That sums up American life so well copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Maybe I am that of myself. I mean, it's self-examination that is cerebral, but is also just soulful. My favorite thing about old country music is that it is that true. Old country music is fantastic. And it is just the same as Nine Inch Nail. It is that much Blood on the tracks—that you can't deny it. I mean, of course, there it is. There it is. You know, Thursday. It's right there.
0: Yeah. Amazing stuff. It's, uh, that's
1: true fucking art. Is uh. and I hate to say this because I hate the aspect of this that would translate to like the voice or something, but I do think the greatest songs sung like. My favorite song ever, which is I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry by Hank Williams Sr. Have you ever seen a whooper who sounds too sad to cry? And as I wonder where you are. I'm so lonesome I could cry. That is the nature of every Nine Inch Nail song. It's it. You're speaking true to your interior pain and to your interior dialogue. So much of the artifice of modern life, modern music, and I understand the pull of it pulls you to to another place. Even as a writer, you want to do other things, but when you find those moments, you know it, and so does everybody else. I'd be curious to know if like, at what point the artist realized. I don't think you can. With uh, Hank Williams. So this is something that is important. Now, there used to be artist development, meaning that you would work with someone who would help you, guide you through songs of your own. They would also work you through covers in order to find your facility, your uh, greater emotional uh, ability. Jackson 5 did it. They did it for a year before they ever released a song. Hank Williams did it. In fact, I have a box set, and as he was a touring musician, you see who he was before then, but then his manager put him through a period of development Made him do covers, record his own songs endlessly in order to develop his own voice. I think it takes anybody, especially a young person, a time to develop their own voice. That should be okay. It should be all right. Definitely. To suffer the slings and arrows of experience and develop your voice because you don't, nobody has a good voice you know, coming out of the gate. Um, Unless you're Billie Eilish, apparently. She had guidance with her brother. But yes, she did. But that is the exception. That is definitely not the rule. The thing is, is the expectation is the rule, not the exception. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think people should understand that. I think people should understand that it takes cost and time and mistakes and awkwardness and embarrassment to offer anything real that matters to another person
0: 100 percent, people don't want falsehoods they want they want real life they want real experiences and real people go through some shit
1: yeah i went with my good friends on invitation to this encampment of bikers it was all bikers a band that i had worked with black rebel motorcycle club was playing and they're beloved in the realm of bikers so once you walked or rode in to this place you couldn't ride out so you had to make encampment which we did i'm not a biker but our friends were bikers so you got bikes there's Bikers, biker people all around. There's some burly, big motherfuckers. There's some. Then there's all the new world of bikers, like the column, the rice rockers, the ninjas, all the Japanese bikes. What would normally not be acceptable in politically correct culture, but all this community of like. Old school bikers, uh day glowed ravers, everybody hanging out, and you couldn't leave. So we had this giant encampment. It was like a post apocalyptic fire on the edge of tomorrow. And uh everybody played every kind of music from Molly Hatchet to like rave music to old country to whatever and everyone loved it It sang all the songs they all knew all the words all the post-apocalyptic motherfuckers still knew all the old songs all the retro rockers knew the new shit and it was a very beautiful especially we're talking this is a biker community walled off you can't leave So you got all the ninja bikers, the Honda bikers, you got all they can't leave, and it just became one big soup. And it was beautiful. It was weird and it was extravagant and it was amazing. But more to the point that we all want the same thing. And especially divorced from the expectations of those around you or the immediate Thing that we can all be a a rock and roller or a Barbie doll with a fucking hairbrush. You know, it's like I think it's when those things begin to differentiate that things get interesting. But we would never have the best things in the world unless we were all separated hardcore, for instance.
0: I'm gonna hold that thought for a second. I gotta go relieve myself. Yeah. Some urine, some nicotine later. We are back. And, uh, yeah, things I gotta thing- clean up and post.
1: Clean that up. Uh, if I have to.
0: <laughs> well, for the, the video audience, eh, we've done some damage to a 94 proof bottle of whiskey. Yeah.
1: And well done. Cheers on that. Cheers. <sniffs> Thank you for having me. Uh, Ethan, it was a fucking pleasure. I mean, it's very rare that I get to really geek out on music like this, so. What do you love about music? At this stage in your life, having experienced all that you have, what do you now look for in music? What what do you, what do you what's your thirst? That is honestly, I don't know. I, if you were just to
0: put me on the spot like that, I don't know. Okay, let's. Uh, I, I I identify as a metalhead because it's just who I've been for
1: twenty plus years. Can I can I tell you what I feel about metal because I'm Oh yeah, no, I I'm dying I, to hear this. I'm not the full-on metalhead, but one of the things that I have complete respect about the metal community, even not always being a part of it, is the complete dedication. It's it's an absolute love. It continues to this day. You could you know, where my love of Metal Starts is British Steel. Hell yeah, Judas Priest. Judas Priest, uh, growing up in a small West, West Texas town. That was just cool to me. But I didn't understand the gay leather fetish of it. I didn't understand the complete release of it. But I understood it from the beginning. I mean, that was like, I was given permission by Rob Halford to have authority over a certain part of life that I would not have understood anywhere else in Amarillo, Texas, in the fucking strip malls that I grew up in, you know, and I was a dishwasher in a Mexican food restaurant and all the guys that I worked with, they would take me out to their 260Zs and we would listen to, I got only one life and I'm gonna live it up. I mean, that was huge for me. I didn't understand the context. I didn't know what was going on, but that was authority. That was like, I could do that with that music. You know, and metal... I have a deep affinity towards, it was not my realm. That's not where I went. That's not where, it was everything for me, but it was a part of me, it was was a huge part of me. That realm of commercial metal at that time offered me a world that I didn't know. It was a fantasy world. It was uh, Randy Rhodes. When I was trying to learn to play guitar, I could never attain that, but I tried. I remember learning tablature, trying to figure it out, and Night Ranger, you know, bad taste as a seventh grader, you know, all that stuff. That was what I was doing. Metal was a big part of my growing up. Metal, goth, goth became a big thing for me. I was a ex-dealer. Uh, in Austin for a time, and I remember walking d- to a club, and the DJ said, stick around, you gotta hear this song. And it was Head Like a Hole. Oh. And that, giant snail's shit. that changed the landscape for me. It wasn't just intense, it was a whole universe of possibility. It was like fantasy world. And I couldn't believe that there was people who were doing something that challenged me beyond what I was thinking. You know, you, you grew up in a small town. And it's like, oh my god, I can't believe what I'm hearing. But had like a whole, even like, even like Hank Williams speaks to your cost. You know, you're in, you're in that little town, and you're like, I know what this means. I know, I know thank you for saying this. There was a certain permission allowed by hearing it. And a lot of my friends, a lot of people who surrounded me were like old school metalheads, like I say. like Priest, maiden. Yeah.
0: The new wave of British heavy metal.
1: Yeah, that was huge in my time. It was the first time it meant something to me. And it wasn't just like a parade of, extravaganza in front of you is like oh shit this actually means something one thing i've always respected about the metal world to this day is that it re it continues it retains this strength of people everywhere are diehard metal fans they continue to be they never goes away that strength is still there and thank god because they exist in defiance of the rest of the world of music because yeah, no matter what metal is going to do what metal needs to do underground music used to mean something but it, now it you know independent music indie music indie rock whatever becomes so subsumed into so many other things but one of my favorite bands ever is the cure seeing him now he looks so beautiful he's got his looking gray hair and talking about him taking his kids to soccer practice and then still he's just this beautiful fountain of he still is who he is he didn't become something else in later life he is that i saw the cure two years ago and they were in their top form the best i've ever seen and i'm it touches my heart so deeply to see that it's unaffected They are who they are. They know who they are. And it feeds me to see them continuing to generate that for other people.
0: Almost 40 years later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. And he doesn't have like, you know, a short haired, quaffed appearance. He looks like he just woke up out of bed and it's nightmarish and... He still speaks to my nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, thank you, because it makes me think that the contract that I signed with him as a teenager isn't in default.
0: I feel the same way about Slayer.
1: Yeah, a fucking Slayer.
0: I mean, that's where my shitty stage names come from. I was the kid in high school who wore Slayer shirts every day.
1: Yeah. Love Slayer.
0: And I've seen them in recent years and it's like, it's the same fucking show. You know, Even with Hanneman dying, Gary Holt is a fucking shredder and he is fucking killing it. I remember when I was first introduced to Slayer, Seasons in the Abyss, I saw the video for Seasons and I'm like,
1: what is this? It changed my fucking world. Why did it change your world at that time in your life? I don't tell know. me no, tell me I about mean, that. No I, I because not the happiest
0: childhood in the world. I was fucking angry. Yeah. And just something resonated with me about that fucking album between Seasons and Divine Intervention, which Divine Intervention is far from their best album. Something resonated with me. And it just It hit home, and we forgot to put your phone on vibrate, apparently. Shit. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. I'll go do it. All right. Hopefully, it's not the wife.
1: So, Ethan's back. Are you in trouble with the wife? Oh, no. She's not like that. Zandra Stoneburner, my wife, we agreed that when we got married that uh, it was too good a name, and it had to be a double bill. My wife, when I met her, was a fire breather, uh, a trapeze artist, and a can-can dancer.
0: Well, it sounds like you married up.
1: Well, yeah, I did. I, ma- I I think I married over.
0: Hey, as a dude who regularly punches above his weight class when it comes to romantic entanglements, bravo, sir, bravo.
1: Thank you. Couldn't have asked her anything more. Zandra... Like myself, is a performer, an experienced life member. She is no stranger to the stranger things in the world. I think the way that we found each other was permission was allowed to experience life together. And she perhaps better it than I am. And I've learned. I've been a student. But also... Made far better by knowing her. If you interviewed her, she'd be far more interesting interview than I am.
0: Well, that would be rather fucking impressive. I've been
1: rather entertained by what we've said tonight. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But she is... Uh, the queen of the human living experience. And I think her greatest gift is uh, her cost has allowed her an empathy and an understanding of the deeper parts of the human experience that I can only have learned from. And she's a way bigger heart than I am. And I think we need those lessons. I think we need people to show us how to be better people. You don't learn it from anywhere else. You hope you learn it from your parents, but a lot of us don't.
0: Well, I, a lot of our parents were not well equipped to do the job.
1: Yeah. But uh, my wife has the loudest voice of any person I know. She's who she's the lighthouse you want to find in the storm. She'll defend you against any, any person. And she did, because of the loss of her own parents at a young age, attain her own sense of parentage, has a deeper understanding about the human heart that I needed to, to know that I didn't have on my own. That's what you want from a, Uh, a coupling it's so true with her she'd be way more interesting on this microphone than i am i guarantee it
0: well i will happily give her the opportunity if she wants to take it i'm curious what when did you first notice her? when did you first
1: like get drawn into that lighthouse um in new orleans i was working at the recording studio that i talked about before this was kingsway I was working for Daniel Anwar, and it was the first time I was thrown into the deep end of the pool. And for years, I was a monk. I was a fucking monastic, uninteresting uh, cornstalk of a human being, uh, at least in the way that it was to the rest of the world. I worked relentlessly on records, and it was a great tutelage. And then at one point, my friend Malcolm Byrne, who is a a producer who worked in that realm, said, you got to go out and have a beer. Because at the time, I wouldn't even do that. And we're talking about New Orleans. This is New Orleans.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Do you ever regret, I mean, I don't mean to sidetrack you, do you ever regret waiting so long to actually embrace living in new orleans
1: no because we're talking about at a time when i was 25 to 29 had i it might not have been good for my constitution i encountered her and grateful that i did she was a very soulful amazing person and she was excited about the same things that I was, but she was grounded in a different way, a way that I wasn't, and a way that that I needed at that time. Um, she offered me some wisdom that I did not have at the time. I was ready to go full bore into certain things, but she was a voice of uh, tolerance, a voice of uh, measurement, even though, we went very deep into the indulgences of the world. She gave me a perspective on life and continues to to this day. Like I say, I never imagined marrying. The institution of marriage was something I was not involved in until I found this person. That's fucking amazing. Cheers. And she fully endorses all of these messages.
0: I'd hope so. (laughs) They're nothing but positive messages. I'd hope that she's endorsing them.
1: She was there for all of that and much more. Well, I also hope that she
0: was there for your relationship. Like, that would be really weird if she wasn't.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Like I say, you should should interview her. Hey, if she's game, I'm game. It would be far more interesting than mine. I think you're downplaying yourself quite a bit, sir. But, uh, you know, I think all of us seek out souls with experience that can understand where we are coming from. And music is the common language for that. It is like any other thing, the thing that, says the things that we cannot it it will uncover the layers that we are we have a lot of reservation about going to and when we find a partner in life that can do that with us um I mean I can only speak from experience because I had never found it before I mean it's certainly I I fucking did a lot of other things I well haven't... no one expects that you you know but i i i did not do well in my previous uh relationships but i i rang the bell on this one as
0: we said earlier you can fail a thousand times you'll have to succeed once Ethan, before you take the headphones off why don't we do a proper sign off we'll get okay Get
1: everyone where they can get the album. Get everyone on your social media. Thank you, everyone, for listening to my podcast. And please direct yourself towards ashermusic.com. And you got a lot more to figure out.
0: Ethan, it was a pleasure. As always, you can find me at Matt underscore Slayer on Twitter. Matt Slater on Instagram madeth and slayer on facebook you can find the podcast at and now we drink on twitter and now we drink underscore on instagram and until next week drink up motherfuckers